Welcome to Short Course, episode 93, for March 3rd, 2023. I'm your host, Ben Barry. As I mentioned last week, the rules changes that were voted on at the January in-person board meeting went into effect March 1st, so the the month as you're you're hearing this. And so I thought now was as good a time as any to just do a, a quick read-through of the rules, look at what changed, and cover anything you might need to know that, that might actually affect stages or stage design at matches. First, I do want to mention there was a, an interesting video that Scott Arnberg and Joel Park put up last night. So two nights ago, February 28th, was the, the regularly scheduled monthly board meeting. And at that meeting, they talked about a number of things. And one of the things that happened was Scott Arnberg, the incoming Area 3 director, they decided that his start date would be March 1st, so basically immediately, not up to 60 days, which was allowed, which I think is good. And he participated in the meeting, and because at the end of the meeting they voted by a a three-fourths majority to waive confidentiality, he was able the very next day to go on with Joel Park from Training Group, Practical Shooting Training Group, the Training Group Live podcast, and talk about the meeting and give sort of his summary of it and, and his impression and and talk about it. And I thought it was a, a really great example of being timely with getting out to the membership what's happening. I know some board members post on Facebook. Honestly, I never really go on Facebook. I, I probably should just to see what those guys are writing. But the ability to have something on YouTube, which is you don't have to have an account. You can just watch it. You can listen, you know, you get kind of a candid discussion of, of what was going on. And I, I really appreciated it. Scott said he intends to do to do one of these after every board meeting, which would be outstanding. And I thought what he had to say was was worth listening to. So if you look up the Practical Shooting Training Group YouTube channel, you should be able to find it pretty easily. Also, they talked about the Area 3 match, who which he is, he's going to be the match director for that. They he and Luke Faust, who was the other Area 3 runoff candidate, had agreed before the, the runoff happened that Scott would just take take responsibility for it, just so somebody was able to, to drive that forward. And he talked about a few of the changes they're making, which I think are, are really great. Obviously, I've talked about some of these things in the past with the way the Carolina Classic does the, the prize table in a way that tries to make more people aware of what prizes are on the table. It's not just a, a random giveaway that the only person who knows what the what the thing that was donated by the sponsor is the only person who sees that is the person who receives it by doing things a little bit differently classic we 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 try and change that well scott was talking about the ways that that they're trying to tackle that with with area 3 and and getting away from having a, an awards or a prize table that you walk at the awards ceremony but also going to doing cash payouts and the cash payouts will be based on registration in the match. So if a division is 5% of the match, they get 5% of the prize pool. If a division is 40% of the match, they get 40% of the prize pool. And I'll be interested to see how they how they structure the payouts down down the orders. But the the fact that he's looking at doing this, I think is is very cool. It's something that I would love to do with the, the area six match if I'm elected. And so having him ha- be able to do this as a as a trial run and and have some experience and be able to learn from that example, I think is, is great. So I look forward to, to hearing how that goes and, and seeing what people think. But yeah, like I said, they, they end up talking about 
area three pilot board stuff for about 30 minutes. And they talk about shooting for about 10 minutes. So it's a, it, it's a pretty, pretty to the point podcast. Not a lot of, not a lot of screwing around. So definitely worth your time. But what I wanted to, like I said, give a quick rundown of are the actual rule changes that may have some kind of meaningful effect on the, on the sport as you actually encounter it. I'll skip over the stuff that's just wording clarifications and moving, moving definitions around, but keeping the definitions fundamentally the same, because at the end of the day, it's, it's just reorganizing the existing information. I'll just cover the, the things that, that might actually have an impact in the, at a match, which I say that, but actually now that, so the, the first rules that I think are worth talking about, uh, are the ones that redefine short, medium and long courses to being based purely on round count. No longer it deletes all mention of the idea of a short course must have no more than two shooting locations, medium course, no more, no more than three in practical terms. This doesn't really have a lot of meaningful impact because whether something's a short, medium or long really doesn't matter in most cases, but it is a, it is a good rule to have cleaned up that the number of locations thing never made any sense. I am still puzzled. Why just to be different, we are keeping medium courses at, at 12 to 20 rounds or 13 to 20 rounds where IPSC defines it as up to 24, but Hey, progress is progress. So I'll leave that one on its own. They did add a, a rule that specifies that in multi-string stages, they have to be shot in numerical order unless otherwise specified in the written stage briefing, which, okay, fair enough. There was some ambiguity about that. That's that. These are the kinds of cleanups that this audit is meant to, to address these sort of minor things that have accumulated over time. They added the ability for a speed shoot to be fixed time in addition to Comstock or Virginia count. As I've said before, I don't think fixed time is is really all that useful in the sense that a, a part time that's going to be challenging for someone at an M or GM level is going to be punishing for someone at a, a B or C class level. So as much as people talk about making sure the sport isn't focused on the, the top end and the elitist GMs and all that, to me, fixed time is is pretty unsuitable for for accomplishing both, for being for both the high and the, the average shooter. So I, I don't really see the, the the use in adding it, but whatever, uh, it's there now. The rule that talks about being able to put transparent covers, basically bagging targets in the case of rain or putting on overhead shelters now also mentions switching to treated or waterproof targets in case of rain. In point of fact, I think in most cases, matches tend to just staple up waterproof targets and then if it rains, they're up. But at least it's clear that they are they are now an allowed alternative to uh, transparent covers and overhead shelters where, I mean, to me, replacing targets with waterproof targets isn't really a change in any meaningful sense. But again, if it starts to rain and the ROs call a halt and they pull down targets and staple up targets that are waterproof, that that's explicitly allowed, even though in my mind, it probably would have been allowed under target changes anyway, but there we are. They've added an area, a new section 2.6 that allows explicitly creating PCC casing, uncasing areas for ranges where there is not a sufficient length of side berm to serve as a, as a casing uncasing area. This will be interesting to see how it's, it's applied. I know, for example, at, at Sir Walter, we have a number of side walls, concrete walls that are not berms in the sense that they can be shot into, but it has sort of, they've been, we have been 
in a practical sense, treating them as sideburns for the purposes of casing and uncasing PCCs. So people just drive their carts up to them and, and park them right there. And they've, they're effectively treated like sideburns in, in that respect. So I, I don't know if we'll actually define formal casing, uncasing areas, or just keep going with this, this standard, but at least it allows the ability for people that want to be very explicit and say, this has to be done only in this spot. I, I appreciate the, the ability to, to, to specify that for the ranges that, that want it. Probably won't change anything, but 4121 changes the, the wording from saying scoring area of scoring cardboard targets must be of a typical cardboard color to say must be of a brown or tan cardboard color. I guess there was some disagreement about whether black or white or other colors are typical cardboard colors. This is obviously going a little bit contrary to some of the places overseas where they're actually going to white targets and red no shoots. I don't really have a, a strong opinion on it. It, it. it seems kind of strange why this is why this is an issue or now, but I guess we want to keep the sport consistent and, and have it the same across the country. So it is now if you go to a match and they're using the the white side of the target as as a scoring target that is that is no longer allowed in the rules as of as of March 1st, 2023. They revised the rules around half size targets, so they are now allowed at any level of match. So potentially you could see mini targets at a nationals or an area match or a state match. Previously they were only allowed at level 1 matches, but honestly I think they've been pretty successful there. You have to change them more often, but they're smaller and cheaper than than full size targets and so I, I think this is, on the whole, a good change. I think adding the ability to have them at, at bigger matches where it makes sense for the range, they're, they're, they're a valid part of the sport, certainly. The, you're also allowed to cover them up to halfway with hardcover or no shoots. This, I mean, I, in general, I'm, I'm a, fan, a fan of letting stage designers find what is allowed, like not outlawing, outlawing too much stuff in stages. I will be interested to see how well this works out. I mean, I can imagine a a 50% partial mini target. You would need to change it every two squads, every 20 shooters probably, just because it's such a small area of cardboard and it's going to get shot up so quickly. But again, I on its face, I, I think giving stage designers more freedom is a good thing. And you just need to trust them not to design bad stages. And if you design bad stages that do dumb stuff, then people will stop coming. But on on the whole, I'm I'm in favor of allowing stage designers more options where it's not obviously a bad idea. On the the flip side, the next rule changes it so that metal plates can only be used at level one and two matches, so not at area matches and nationals. Which I, Hopkins had a good point on some podcast I was listening to him talking about this on, where he was saying they were they were using metal plates at the world shoot without any problems because they had bases that could take getting shot and not fall over. So this feels a bit to me like throwing the baby out with the bathwater rather than trying to fix the problem and either mandate that plates used at, at bigger matches have some kind of base where they won't fall when shot. They just threw them all out. And so no more plates at area matches and nationals. And I, I find, I, I will say if you're reviewing the rule changes, uh, looking at the actual December rules audit document, that's got the three columns or four columns is actually a lot easier to read and it has the justification on it. And on there, the whoever prepared this document says is the justification for this one. As we have long discussed, plates at higher level matches cause numerous reshoots and are rarely consistently scored throughout the country. I'm not sure what consistently scored throughout the country means. I'd be curious about that. 
But then they say, add the Texas Stars, various types of plate racks, and other devices, and you see various horror stories at all level of matches. Well, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, if if we if there was a rule that said the sort of inconsistent things like if we could draw the line and say Texas Stars are out, but plate swingers are in, I don't know how exactly you draw that line. But yeah, to me, like a, a Texas Star, a Polish plate rack, I mean, that stuff just adds nothing to the sport. It's a it's a gimmick that once you learn the tricks, it it's not that hard. But at the same time, I think every level two match director, well, I would hope every level two match director in the country knows that including something like that at a level two, much less a area match or a nationals match is is a bad idea. So we we don't see those. So that that really seems sort of secondary to to what they're addressing with this rule. So again, I think metal plates are really cool. I think especially two-piece poppers are very forgiving. I think having having a metal plate that really punishes shooting high or low as well as left or right, I think it's a higher test of accuracy. I mean certainly a a metal plate, an eight inch metal plate is a harder target than even a mini popper just because some mini poppers will fall if you hit them below the calibration zone, especially if you're shooting major. And so a plate is a is is a more difficult target. And so taking that off the table at area and and national matches, uh, I mean, I I'm not a fan of this, but it is it is what it is. So no more no more plates at at areas and nationals. There are a, a few rules that hopefully you won't run into, but the the, the rule around changing your the position of your belt equipment five two five three, as well as some of the other rules around shooting a, a a stage with your holster too far from your belt or in an incorrect position or mag pouches too far from your belt. So those are those are in uh, five two five and five two seven. So they have added five two ten, which specifies the the penalty for violating that rule which I think is good. It, it's it's always a bit of a an issue when the rules say something isn't allowed, but they don't specify what the penalty is. Is it a bump to open? Is it a DQ? Is it a zero for the stage? Is it a procedural? So here, if you, if you violate the rules around holster position, magazine pouch position, or removing holsters and allied equipment on the belt during the match, th- those all result in a zero for the stages where that was an issue. I know I I talked in previous podcasts about being worried about the wording of this. Hopefully no one's going to go out of their way to try and give people zeros on stages because their their belt is out of the way. Like you the rules say once you are notified that you're out of compliance, you have to fix it before starting the next stage. And I guess if you then knowingly go to the next stage and don't tell the RO and don't fix it, then yeah, okay, you're you're cheating. You deserve a zero for that stage because you've been told. But as long as as long as competitors are given a chance to fix it and, and nobody's out hunting to give people zeros over this, which I don't seriously think anybody will, I, I like this. I think it's it's good to have both what the rule is and what the penalty is clearly specified. So this is good. They updated the rule around keeping your finger out of the trigger guard. So it used to be worded so that it, it said failure to keep the finger outside the trigger guard while clearing a malfunction where the competitor clearly moves the firearm away from aiming at targets, and they deleted the the second half of that. So it just says failure to keep the finger outside the trigger guard while clearing a malfunction, which I think is is true. I mean, even if you're aiming at the target, keeping your finger on the trigger while you're racking the slide or doing anything else is is not safe. Whether the bullet would go in a safe direction or not, it's not a safe thing to be doing. So I think this is a this is a good clarification. 
They also revised the rule, which again, I don't think this will really impact anybody because I've never actually seen this rule enforced, but the there was a rule that said that you should put the safety on your gun when moving between positions or targets, and nobody did that. Nobody does that, and it's definitely not something that should was not enough to really issue a DQ, so it was kind of one of these things that was in the rule book but not really enforceable, and I think it, it doesn't... Uh, it doesn't accurately portray what people do at matches. So if someone's reading the rule book and they think, wow, I got to put my safety on between every target. No, 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 no. So that's gone, which is good. They added the ability to use Virginia count for medium courses. Again, I think Virginia count is just generally a bad idea. It penalizes calling your shots and shooting makeup shots. I know that there are certain scenarios where it's basically useful for for one-handed shooting, so doing the kind of shoot some targets freestyle, reload, shoot some targets with one hand. By making it Virginia count, you can't shoot extra shots during the freestyle portion. So I get it for that, but I, I would actually like to see I would like to see one-handed shooting addressed in other ways. Like I mentioned last week, I actually did reach out to, to Frank Rizzi and ask why the, the rule was taken out of consideration about being able to to specify one-handed shooting for a whole shorter medium course. And I, I understand that. That 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 is actually a pretty significant change to the rules, but I would like to see something like that. Or at at my at the, the outlaw match where I, I designed the stages, one of the reasons I like it being an outlaw match is I can experiment with stuff that isn't USPSA legal. And so one of the things that we did is we had a little 12 round short course and I just specified that all the shots through the port. So this was basically set up where around the left side of the wall you could see three shots around the right side of the wall, you could see three shots. And then through the port, there were three paper targets. So six shots through the middle. So it's 12 round stage. But I was trying to think how you could make one-handed shooting a part of a stage that was also easily enforceable. And this actually worked out really well. So like I said, I, I made it. So all shots through the port had to be taken strong hand only. And this actually had this really cool element of freestyle where people could decide, do I want to go to the left and then to the right and then finish with the one hand on the gun. So I'm I'm doing all the freestyle and then the, the one hand at the end. Or do I want to sort of shoot some freestyle, go in, shoot some one hand, and then shoot some freestyle at the end. And I thought that actually added a, a really interesting nuance to the stage. So I don't know how you how you write the rule to allow that kind of thing in, in USPSA, but having a rule that says you can specify either a position or a view from which one-handed shooting has to be done. I think that would be interesting. It would be a way to, you know, throw six or eight rounds of of one-handed shooting in the middle of a stage and you can choose when you want to do it. It's sort of like a, a low port, right? Do you want to run around, shoot everything else, and then go to the low port at the end? Or do you want to go to the low port and then get back out of it? I thought it worked really well. Again, I like to experiment with stuff like that. So I'd like to see one-handed shooting handled in that way. I would not like to see Virginia count medium courses. Like to me, that's the only point of, of Virginia count is, is that kind of one-handed shooting and adding it to medium courses is, is kind of pointless in that sense, but it's allowed. Maybe you'll see it. I kind of doubt it. I think most people hate Virginia, <laughs> Virginia count too. So I, I doubt you'll really see it. They also add the ability to run fixed time speed shoots and medium courses. Again, I think fixed time is, is really not equitable across the, the classifications so I, I don't really see the the need to expand its use. As I mentioned previously, there was actually a rule I'd never seen it used, but there was a rule that allowed you to specify in the in the written stage briefing that 
you could not leave the shooting area for a given stage. They've deleted that. Again, I don't know why. Nobody really used that rule. And I think it actually would be cool now that people's attention has been brought to it. And again, I don't really understand the the point of giving level one match directors fewer tools in their toolbox because a lot of level one match directors are limited on props, limited on setup, limited on space. So to me, taking this away doesn't make the sport better in any meaningful way. So I'm, I'm kind of confused by it, but it's gone now. So I don't know if you've ever seen a stage like that. I never have, but I'm kind of bummed to know that it's not an option anymore because I, I probably would have started designing some stages to use that rule if it were kept in. They revise the the rules around you can you can now check your dot on your PCC when it's pointing up in the air or pointed straight down as long as it's in in the condition where you can handle it safely walking around the range you can check your dot which again there there were some people apparently that were throwing out DQs on PCC guys for looking at their dot or touching the buttons on their PCC without being in a safe area adjusting the dot because the way the word the 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 rule was worded did not allow that basically saying that PCC, yeah, he used to say all other gun handling with the PCC, e.g. sight pictures, turning dots on and off, must be accomplished in a safe area or under the direct supervision of a range officer. So, it, I mean, it, it was pretty clearly worded that that you could not do that, but that was, to me, that's unnecessarily harsh. Letting PCC guys press the button on their dot while it's pointed safely up or down. Yeah, great, good, good change. They have clarified that the $100 arbitration fee, well, uh, match fee or arbitration fee can be has to be cash only and instead of forwarding it on to DNROI or not DNROI to NROI if the competitor loses the, the arbitration it just goes to the match which is pretty much what I think most matches were doing anyway all good there they they add a new definition for holstered which I find contradictory so it says the point at which a handgun is inserted or engaged into the holster so as to not allow access to any portion of the interior of the trigger guard holstering begins when the handgun muzzle enters the holster or trigger guard enters block. So to me, it's either when in, in the case of a Kydex holster, it's either when the muzzle enters the holster or when the access to the trigger guard is blocked, but it can't be both. I mean, when you imagine inserting a handgun into a kydex holster those two things are not the same and they're basically you treated the 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 two definitions are given in this one rule so and obviously i think this mostly comes up with regard to having the hammer decocked or the safety on when holstering a a hot handgun at what point is the handgun considered holstered and and is a dq appropriate for for holstering the gun you got to draw that line somewhere and it was kind of ambiguous before but to me this definition in the case of a of a non-race holster is it's sort of contradictory they also did go through with the redefinition of compensator to be a device or machining integrated into the slide and or barrel to counter muzzle rise, usually by diverting external escaping gases. Again, I don't think this is the best redefinition of the term. I think something that that explicitly identifies the mechanism of action of trying to reduce felt recoil by by diverting gases, whether that's through the slide, through something attached to the end of the muzzle or you know, people are talking now about frame-mounted comps, which aren't technically comps. The, the The whole thing of trying to trying to police it by the physical location versus the mechanism of action to me is is backwards. But that is now the rule. So 
a one of these new SIG 17 round X macro or 320, I don't whatever whatever the 17 round full size carry optics gun that potentially would have been carry optics legal with one of these integrated slide comps, not legal now. And then the last two things are just related to the the chrono appendix. One says that when you're using a radar sensing unit, which I basically there's only one of those, it's lab radar. They they explicitly say that you have to use V zero, which is the 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 velocity measured at the the chrono unit which is going to be more more sensitive than anything else that's what we did last year at the section everything you know it, it's the most generous to the competitors and so it, i think it, establishing that as the standard makes sense and then the other is just saying that once you surrender your gun and the magazine to be gauged at the at the chrono station you can't take the firearm or the magazine out which Previously, it said you couldn't take the firearm, but there was no rule about the magazine. But if you know we're taking that one as the one that 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 we're using to to gauge and to decide whether you're getting bumped open, yeah, it makes sense that the competitor can't try and do a little switcheroo at, at some point. So those are the March 2023 rules changes. The PDF on the website has been updated. I have not looked at the USPSA app because I find it horrible and unusable. As far as I know, the 22 series are still not usable in the classifier calculator for no apparent reason, except the fact that the app hasn't been updated since 2020. So I, I don't tend to use the app. I just keep a PDF on my phone. So I will make sure to update that PDF. And maybe one day we'll get back to to actually printing paper rule books. You know, the whole reason to, to, to not print paper rule books was because they were going to the Evergreen rule book so they could change it all the time. And then they haven't changed it in a year and a half. But to me, again, I, I still think get the rules right, actually put the effort into catching all these little things before you print them, and then have an actual printed rule book that can last for more than a few years. But that's uh, that's another discussion for another time. These are the rules. This is where we're at. That wraps up this episode of Short Course. My email is bennettberryshooting.com. Talk to you next time.